0: microphone and get my notebook upside down. Now I've got it right side up. You would think as old as I am, I've figured this stuff out by now. hope you'll open your Bible to Psalm 119. That's the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119. We're going to look at just one verse and that's verse 89. As you're turning there, God has uh, been dealing with me rather strongly in the last few days. And uh, I feel led to put together a series of messages entitled Urgent Messages for Desperate Times. Certainly we live in Some pretty desperate times. Richard Baxter was one of the premier preachers of the 17th century um, English. And uh, he was uh, persecuted and imprisoned for his beliefs. And as a result of his convictions, uh, he was known as a preacher who was unafraid to preach the truth. Perhaps out of all of his life, he is best remembered for a single sentence, a single phrase. Richard Baxter said in light of his persecution and imprisonment, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. Richard Baxter understood the urgency of his call and the urgency of his purpose. In these weeks ahead, that's what I'm going to endeavor to do Is kind of my string here runs out. I'd like to spend these last Sundays talking with you on the subject, Urgent Messages for Desperate Times. And I hope to preach with the conviction That Richard Baxter spoke about when he said that he preached as sure, as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. A famous uh, American preacher of today who preaches every Sunday to thousands of people has recently written a book in which he recommends that the modern church unhitch from the Old Testament. Now, this is really not a new concept. In the days of the early church, there was a man named Marcion, and he developed a heresy called Marcionism in which he tried to do that very thing to detached from the Old Testament, frankly, from much of the the New Testament. And he just had a few central points that he wanted to focus upon. But it struck me when I read a review of this young preacher's book, this idea of unhitching from the Old Testament. For decades now, the church in America has been trying to accommodate the world's objections to Christianity, thinking that doing so is the best way to reach the world for Christ. In other words, if the world has objections to Christianity and objections to the Bible, and in particular objections to the Old Testament, let's just ignore those matters and and let's focus on the things that can bring people together. And when it comes to the Old Testament, the world has lots of objections. The world believes that those dinosaur fossils out there prove that the biblical account of creation is wrong. I don't agree with that, but that's what they think. The people of this world don't like, in their words, that the Old Testament is so bloody and and violent. I just accept the Old Testament as it is. But there's some who are very, very upset that God seems very violently minded in the Old Testament. The world wants a more tolerant God who, who isn't so hard on sin. The world doesn't like God's Old Testament condemnation of immorality. And for that matter, much of the condemnation that appears in the New Testament. The world wants a more tolerant God. The world wants a God who is open to many paths of salvation. They think it's restrictive to say that salvation is only available in Christ. They're looking for a God who will be more open-minded, more tolerant. The world objects to a God of wrath and justice. The idea of hell is unthinkable to the world. So they'd like to kind of edit that out of the Bible. The world wants a kinder and less demanding version of Christianity. Something that you can have a little dose of on Sunday morning and and set aside and live your life as you choose. And so some pastors today have chosen to de-emphasize the Old Testament. To distance themselves from the Old Testament and even from the difficult passages in the New Testament as well. In this day and time, some pastors are seeking to edit and, and recast the Bible to make it more palatable for today's 21st century taste. So they don't talk about the things in the Bible that the world calls objectionable, thinking that in doing so, it will allow them to lead many more people to Christ. The Apostle Paul warned of the dangers of this approach, when he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4, realize this that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its very power. Avoid such men as these. Paul continues in the following chapter, Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit right here. What word was that? You see, in the New Testament, as we read it, the New Testament is being written. And so, when Paul was preaching the word, and Timothy was preaching the word, they were largely preaching the Old Testament. And Paul said, don't get away from that. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Uh, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, wanting to be entertained. They will accumulate, they will draw to themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their, true, their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. But you, be sober, be serious in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, and Timothy, fulfill your ministry. That season, those last days that Paul spoke about to Timothy, I believe we're living in that season. I believe we're living either in the last days, which would mark the return of Jesus Christ. It could be that we are living in those last days. Or it could be that God is going to tarry, Christ is going to tarry in His coming, and that we are living in the last days of the United States as we know it. Very serious things are happening in our country. Things that we might have thought unthinkable years ago. Some preachers today are watering down the scriptures. And eventually what they're going to end up doing is creating some different gospel. And that's a dangerous thing. And that's why I think we're living in the last days. Whether they're the last days for this nation or the last days for this world. But it's dangerous... To come up with a a gospel substitute. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 9, If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men? Now this is fascinating. He says, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel that's different than what you heard from me, he's to be accursed. In other words, if somebody takes this gospel and distorts it, they're to be accursed. And then he says, in form of a question, is it my place now to seek the favor of men or of God? Am I to be striving to please men? If I were still striving or trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Today we have, I'm afraid, some ministers, some preachers of the gospel who are dead set on pleasing men rather than pleasing God. And that's a dangerous place to be. The Old Testament says some difficult things. I would be the first to acknowledge that to you. There are things here in the Old Testament that I read and it causes me to pause. But I don't turn and say to God, well, God, that's a little difficult for me. It must be wrong. Instead, I accept it for what it is and understand the person who needs to change is me, not God. The Old Testament says some difficult things. But it's God's word. It's God's truth. And it's God's message to us today. And no one has a right to set it aside and say the New Testament is all that we really need for today. Because we need both. It's kind of like someone who is a husband and a father. How do you separate a husband and a father? How do you tell a man, look you're a pretty good husband, you're not a very good father, but that's not all that important. Just be a good husband and don't worry about being a father. How do you separate those two? Well, that's what it is with the Scripture. How how do you separate and say, we don't really need the Old Testament, we need the New Testament, we'll live with the New Testament, and we'll jettison the Old Testament. How can we possibly set aside a treasure so precious? According to Josh McDowell, the Old Testament's collection Of 39 books. Now, in our Bible, it's 39 books. If you look at the Hebrew Bible, the Bible that the Jews use. They don't have a New Testament, of course. But they have an Old Testament. It's identical to our Old Testament with one exception. They divide the books differently. And so instead of having 39 books, they have 24 books. But it's because some of that 24 will take and divide into two different books, like First Kings and Second Kings. First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. So, so they do some different kinds of division, but it's the same book. It's the same word. And that book has been established, according to Josh McDowell as early as the fourth century BC. And so when Jesus talked about the scriptures, he was talking about the same scriptures that are in your Bible. Listen, the Old Testament is vital. And the New Testament testifies to that by saying this. 855 times in the New Testament. 855 times in the New Testament. Old Testament verses are either quoted or referenced 855 times. Of the 39 Old Testament books that we have, Jesus himself directly quotes from 24 of them. Every Old Testament book is quoted or referenced in the New Testament at some point except four or five books. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther... Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. The Old Testament was the very scripture, as I said earlier, for the early church and for Jesus himself. And that scripture cannot be abandoned. Floyd Hamilton writes that according to Bible scholar Henry Lyddon, think about this, 322 Messianic prophecies. Those are prophecies that predicted or said something in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ. 322 Old Testament messianic prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You can't separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. You can't say we don't need one, we'll live by the other. You need both. Just like a child needs a mom and needs a dad. We dare not try to disciple believers without both. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible is God's Word to us and for us. The Bible doesn't change, it doesn't become outdated. It's never going to be rendered irrelevant. Its truth is never going to fail. And that's why I read at the beginning of our message this morning Psalm 119, verse 89 Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. It's done. The word that we have is the word of God. There's never going to be a need to add to it. There's never going to be a need to detract from it or take away from it. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands. How long? Forever. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus himself said, this is Jesus talking. How did Jesus feel about the Old Testament? Well, here's how he felt. He said, do not think that I came to abolish the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. Or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. We read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. The word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached, what? To you. Listen, the Bible teaches us how to be saved, how to love God, and how to love each other. We need the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those books together form our Bible, and it tells us how to be saved. It also tells us how to, how to love God as we should and how to love each other. The Old Testament, it has been said, is our schoolmaster, our instructor, our tutor to help us see our sin and the need for a Messiah, our need for repentance, and our need for salvation. Now, the New Testament takes the Old Testament prophecies of a coming Messiah, and those prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer. Think back to Pentecost as we read in Acts chapter 2. And forgive me for drinking so much water this morning, but the pollen is still in the air. On Pentecost, Simon Peter preached to a crowd in the temple. And you remember the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the church and amazing things were happening. And people got up and they accused the disciples of maybe being drunk because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were acting unusual and different. And Simon Peter stood up and he began to preach right there. And he preached in a powerful way and thousands were saved. During that sermon, he referenced in his message the Old Testament books of Joel and Psalms, in fact, a, different, a number of different Psalms, 1 Kings, 2 Samuel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Deuteronomy. I went and checked. I went through the whole sermon, went back and checked the references. And all those books were referenced by, by Simon Peter. Peter let the Old Testament words do their convicting work under the power of the Holy Spirit. And people cried out in Acts 2.37. And you know what They said, As they heard this sermon from Peter as he quoted these verses that reverberated in their minds and hearts because they were Jews and they knew those verses were from the Old Testament. And when it got to the end and the Holy Spirit had done His convicting work, they cried out and they said, what? What shall we do? What shall we do? You're talking about us and we stand guilty before God. Where is our hope? What shall we do? And what did Peter say? He said, repent and put your trust in Christ. Friends, we need the whole Bible. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament, not to abolish it. In doing so, that is in fulfilling the Old Testament, Jesus rendered some of the things in the Old Testament non-binding upon us. Let me illustrate to you what I mean. The Old Testament basically has three elements in it. There is the moral law. The moral law is illustrated by the Ten Commandments. That is a law that applies to all people at all times. It applies universally. The Ten Commandments are examples of God's moral law, what He expects from us as Gentiles, what He expects from the Jews. And the moral law directs our relationship with God. The first four commandments in the Ten Commandments relate to our relationship with God. The final six commandments relate to our relationship with one another. And the moral law shows us that we're sinners and that we need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. It also gives us a guide for how to live a godly life. I mean, you think about it. The Ten Commandments aren't there to punish us or restrict our lives or make our lives miserable. The Ten Commandments are there to show us how to get along with our neighbor. Don't lie to your neighbor. Don't take the life of your neighbor. Don't take from your neighbor. Don't envy your neighbor. Uh, Honor your parents. Honor the God-given family you have. And so we have the moral law, and that's binding on us. But then there's the ceremonial law and the civil law. And those are not binding on Gentile believers. Because they, first, the ceremonial law applies to the rituals of Judaism. They had Pentecost and they did certain things. They had, you know, burnt offerings. They had peace offerings. They had all these different types of of religious activity, religious ritual that applied to Judaism. And we're Gentiles and we're not bound by that ceremonial law. We don't have to go out and, and, and we don't have to celebrate Passover the way the Jews celebrate Passover because... Christ fulfill that requirement for us, I'll illustrate in just a moment. And then there's the civil law. The civil law applies to a Jewish government in a Jewish nation, and we live in, in the United States of America. We're Gentiles and, and we don't have that kind of government. We're not bound to live by the rules of Jewish government. We're not bound to follow a similar to a criminal code like the criminal code we read. In the Old Testament, because we're Gentiles and Christ has fulfilled that requirement for us, we're Americans. And so while the civil law and the ceremonial law are very important for us to understand, we don't, we're not we not bound by them because they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now think about it this way. We read about the Passover lamb. We read about the way that, that the Jews exited Egypt and how God sovereignly protected them. We read that, and it's, it's knowledge that we need to gain. It's essential, but but we no longer sacrifice and eat a Passover lamb because Jesus has become our perfect eternal Passover lamb, and, and we celebrate what he accomplished on the cross every time we share in the Lord's Supper, but we don't have to go and have the Passover. We can, we can go and, and some people will have a Seder meal, and we can learn from it, but we're not bound to carry that out as some ritual of our faith. Again, because Jesus fulfilled that. Thus Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed. How? With precious blood. What kind of blood? As of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus is our Passover lamb. So we don't have to go back and celebrate the Passover as the Jews once did because we have been unbound from that particular tradition. But every word that speaks of the Passover is so valuable because we find that Passover fulfilled in Christ himself. And so today you have three options before you. Number one, you reject the Scriptures. that's what the atheists do. They just reject it altogether. But to do so is to reject God Himself. And for me, that's not an option. It's not an option to reject the Scriptures because I think this is a precious and holy book. Well, there's a second option, and that is you can compromise the Scripture. And that's what many in the modern church want to try to do today. In other words, you can sift through the Bible and choose what you will accept and choose what you want to reject but to do so is the most arrogant self-righteous act to say that somehow or another you know better than the god who wrote this book that i don't need to worry about what i'm reading in exodus i don't need to read that because i know what i need i know what i want that's proud that's arrogance That's saying, look, we know better than God. And that's the danger of saying we're going to unhitch from the Old Testament. That we don't need the Old Testament. The good news is there is a third option. And that third option is this. You can trust the Scriptures. You can believe the Word of God. You can tell God, Lord, you know best. I will trust in you. Now, are there things in the Bible I don't understand? Absolutely. But I think if I were to get a little calculator and write down all the verses and then try to ask, you know, now what about this do I not understand? I might have about 5% of the Bible that I don't understand. But there's 95% of the Bible that everyone can understand. And I understand, it's clear. Am I to reject the 95% because I don't understand the 5%? Of course not. That's bizarre, that's ridiculous. And yet there are people like that. And they say, look, I, you know, there, there's parts I don't, I don't understand and so I'm just going to cast them aside. What arrogance. Look, I don't understand everything about this book, but I trust it and I believe it and I'll stand on it from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. Because I figure this, the God who wrote it is a lot smarter than this guy who's reading it. Amen? And so I trust my God. I trust that He has given me the book I need for my life. Friends, you can choose to believe that all Scripture is true. For the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 160, Lord, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. You can choose to believe that all the Scripture is true whether you understand it or whether you don't. Number two, you can choose to believe the Scriptures teach us about God and how to love Him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119 verse 57, The Lord is my portion. The Lord's for me. I have promised to keep your words. I have sought... Your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. We can believe that the scriptures teach us about God and how we're to love him and how we're to relate to him. Number three, you can choose to believe the scriptures teach us about ourselves and how to love one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded Number four, you can choose to believe the scriptures reveal that the only way to salvation is Jesus Christ. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And by the way, that's in the New Testament, isn't it? And that tells us there is one way to salvation and those who ignore that way or reject that way or compromise that way will have to experience the wrath of Almighty God. That's right out of the New Testament. Number five, you can choose to believe the Scriptures show us the way to live our lives for the glory of God. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God shows us through his word, Old Testament and New Testament, how we are to walk And bring him glory. Again, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Do not believe, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Friends, the Bible is precious. This is such a treasure. It is such an incredible, precious treasure. The Bible is true. Within this Bible, you can find the words of life. So believe this book. And I always encourage people. I can remember when I was growing up, I'll say a little bit more about this tonight. But I can remember watching the people file in to First Baptist Church where I I attended in Tifton, Georgia as a young person, as a as a teenager. And I can remember seeing men and women alike coming into that great sanctuary all with Bible in hand and Sunday school book tucked right behind the Bible. And I can just see God's people walking into his house with his word in their arms, in their hands. Friend... This book needs to be in your heart and in your hands. It needs to be a part of your life. Don't don't leave it on a coffee table. Don't leave it in the back seat of the car. Let this book be the guide of your life. It is filled with words of life. Believe this book. Don't reject it. Don't attack it. And certainly don't compromise it. Don't edit it. The world is full of that today. Friend, the only way you can end up ordaining a person who lives a homosexual lifestyle to be a minister in a church, which some churches do, the only way you can do that is to edit this book and say what God says about homosexuality being an abomination. is just not a part of my Bible. Don't edit it. You have no authority to do that. Don't trivialize it. You know, some of us treat the Bible so cavalierly. Don't, don't neglect it. Don't leave it on that back seat, as I said. Don't leave it on the coffee table. This book is a treasure. and Don't underestimate it. This book has power that you and I can hardly fathom. This is a collection of God's promises to God's people and every promise is true and every promise will be kept. This is an amazing book. Don't neglect it, don't don't underestimate it, and don't delude it. Pour this book out into your life in its full strength. Within it lie the words of eternal life. Sadly, far too many of us don't read it or... Or don't believe it. Imagine being diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. It's amazing over the years how we've come to know those stage numbers. We know stage 4 is extremely serious. Imagine being diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Imagine the terror, the fear, the uncertainty, the concern that you would feel in your own heart. Just imagine as the doctor shares with you the diagnosis, he says, as you begin to tremble with a bit of fear, he says, listen, don't worry. Don't worry. There's been new advances, and your particular type of cancer can be cured with a medicine that I'm going to prescribe. Imagine him riding out on a, on a pad, a special instruction and ordering this special medicine to be delivered to your pharmacy and telling you that on such and such a date you can begin purchasing your your medication, taking it home and, and taking that medication and you would be cured. But now imagine that you go to the pharmacy and you get that precious medicine in a bottle and you carry it home and you put it in your medicine cabinet and you leave it there. Day one goes by. Still in the cabinet. Day two, day three, day four. The disease begins more and more to ravage your body. And take you and rob you of life. And yet the life-saving medicine still in the cabinet. You haven't touched it. Haven't opened the bottle. You say, well that's bizarre, Chef. That's unimaginable. Well, consider what I'm about to tell you. I've read... A man named Brandon Gale has this on his website. I have read that 92% of Americans own a Bible. It might be like the Bible I have here of paper with a leather cover. It it might be the Bible is on an audio tape or a CD. It might be that the Bible is on a a smartphone or computer. But 92% of Americans have access to a Bible in their homes, in their lives, in their cars. But studies show only 31% of Americans at best identify themselves as born-again Christians. 92% of us have Bibles, but only 30-something percent, 31% of us are born-again believers. And what's even more tragic is 23% of only 23% of those under 30 years of age are born-again believers. The medicine is in the medicine cabinet. But the world is dying, won't open the bottle. Talk about tragedy. And that's why I say, take this book and pour it into your life in its full strength. Old Testament and New Testament and every word on every page. For within it lie the words of eternal life. Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Just this morning as I was making last minute preparations, I give you all a warning about preaching and trying to do a vacation it just doesn't work we got back early thursday morning i think we pulled into the house at about two o'clock in the morning thursday morning and uh so i had less time to get ready for today and catch up on some visits and time uh to get ready for tonight and so uh i was working right down to the last minute and Interestingly enough, I ran across a little news story this morning as I came into the office. and I thought to myself, what a contrast. Let me share briefly with you and then we'll close. I'm not going to share all about the article that I read, just simply this. In North Korea, there's a group of people that have an unusual way of going to church. You see, North Korea is a community, it's a country where you are constantly being watched. There are people among the, 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 the country <clears throat> whose primary job it is or, or role it is to, to report on others. If they see someone praying or reading a Bible or, or worshiping with another group of people, those folks have the duty of reporting back to the state government that so-and-so is worshiping God. And the next step is to carry those people to a prison where they get re-educated by the North Korean government. But it's interesting, this group that has a church meets in a curious place. You see, they are fishermen. And they have their little boats tied next to the river And they have their Bibles under canvas at the bottom of the boat. And they put their fishing equipment on the top. And they go out into the middle of the river because there, there are no cameras. There, there are no microphones. There, there are no spies. They go out into the middle of the river and they pull back the canvas. And rather than fishing, they gather there to read God's word. What an amazing dedication. Why would anyone go to such extremes and expose themselves to such potential danger to simply read a book because this is no ordinary book? This is the book that changes lives. This is the most important book that exists in all of history. This is the most important book that you can find anywhere across the world. There is no book like it. It is literally a living book. And you have one in your hands, at home, in your library, on your computer, and it's full of life. And what you need to remember is open the book, the whole book, and experience the salvation available only through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the power of the book you possibly hold in your hands at this very moment. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your book. We thank you for the Old Testament. The the fact that every word, as Jesus said, every jot, every tittle will abide. It is an eternal book. It is a book that never becomes obsolete or outdated. It is a book that is eternal in nature and is priceless in value. And it is a book that shows us the way to life eternal in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the Old Testament. Thank you for the New Testament. Thank you for the men and women that gave their lives so that we could freely read it and freely be helped by it. God, help us never to put ourselves in the place of saying what we will read and what we will believe and what we won't read and what we won't believe in your book. Because it's truth. From Genesis to Revelation, it's truth. And it's the most important truth in all the world. God, may we be committed to read it, to live by it, to revere it, to honor it and to share its precious message of salvation with a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.